Peter chapter number two. And we started on last Wednesday talking about a spirit of submission, how critically important it is that the body of Christ operates uh, with a spirit of submission. Uh, in the day and age that we're living in, a lot of Christians don't want to submit to authority, don't want to submit to, submit to godly authority in the church, don't want to submit, submit to God, don't want to submit uh, to earthly authority on the jobs and, in, and as it relates to our obligation to be good citizens in this uh, country that we live in. But a spirit of submission is sorely needed in order to move us forward in our faith walk so that we can accomplish the thing that God wants us to accomplish. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 13, uh, and we'll commence to reading at that 13th verse. If you found it, uh, let's read it together. It says this, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. We'll stop right there, okay? Uh, and so we begin to look at this passage on last week, and hopefully you all have an outline. If you did not get one, um, We'll, uh, I think the ushers may have some. If not, uh, raise your hand and get you one. So we talked about the fact that submission is required. Uh, the first part of this text talks about submitting yourselves to every ordinance of man. And again, that's dealing with, basically I told you on last week, it means that we are, and we as born-again believers, have a responsibility to obey the law. Look at your name and say, neighbor. We are to obey the laws of this land. Okay, y'all got it? We are to obey the laws of this land. That is critically important. Uh, we're not exempt just because we born again, believe and speak in other tongues and fall out at church. <laughs> when you leave out of here and you go about your daily lives, you have a responsibility to obey the laws of the land. We know, we know that, right? Okay, look back with me. It, it says in verse 13, one more time, just for good measure. Verse 13 says, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state, and the next verse says what, or the officials he has appointed. So we have a responsibility. Submission is required. It is not an option. Um, I shared with you that this is a significant issue in the New Testament. It's mentioned um, 49 times in 32 verses. We are called upon by God in part C to to submit in at least six areas. First of all, we're called upon to submit to God. Go to James chapter four again. James chapter four, and we'll look at verse number seven. We're called upon to submit to God. He's the, he's the ultimate authority. Guys, listen, listen to me very carefully. When we, you and I, get to a point to where God's word and his will for our life is the most important thing in our life, then we'll really begin to see uh, God do some supernatural things through us. Part of, of, of exhibiting or part of our uh, commitment to, to submitting to God means that we have a responsibility to obey what his word says, okay? So in the book of James, chapter number four, 
watch what the text says in James 4, verse number 7. Let's read. So humble, as a matter of fact, let's buy back up to verse number 6. Can we go to verse number 6 real quick? But he says he gives us more, even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he favors what? The humble. KJV says he resists the proud, but he gives grace unto those who walk in humility. Okay? He, he, he gives grace unto the humble. So he, if God resists the proud, which means that God is against those who are walking in human pride. Human pride, um, we're talking about sinful pride. We're not talking about being pride, proud of what, what God has done through your life and what you've accomplished. Those things, it's, it's, it's okay to be proud of that, but don't ever put stuff above God's will and plan for your life. Pride in this sense is talking about sinful pride where a man thinks of himself more than he ought to think of himself. All right. Uh, he says here, God opposes those kind of people, whether you're born again or not born again. If you're born again, but you're walking in pride, then God opposes you. So now think about this for a second. Think about the 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 I guess the foolishness of that, because as a Christian, if I say I love God, I'm submitting myself to God. But yet I'm walking in sinful pride. Then now, even when I go to God in prayer, my prayers have no effect because God is opposing me because I'm walking in pride. You know, pride is one of those sins where sometimes it's difficult for us to uh, to to gauge whether or not we're walking in it or not. And usually a lot of times it's someone else who has to point it out in our own lives that we're walking in pride because, uh, you know, and I think all of us at some point in time have, have, have I won't say struggled with, but we've, we've, we've submitted to that prideful attitude. How many of you have ever been so prideful that you refused to ask for help, as Brother Rob was talking about earlier in his message? In other words, you felt like, no, well, I can't. Okay, let's, let's back up. I, I want to, y'all have heard me tell on myself, but I need y'all to look at yourself. Have you ever been so prideful that you needed something but when somebody offered to give it to you, you refused to take what they offered you, even though you knew you needed it, but you, your pride wouldn't let you receive it. Anybody? You, you, you ever been there before? Where you, you're like, oh, no, that's all right, that's all right, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. God's got me. And then God sit up in heaven and say, yes, I got you, but I just sent that guy to help you, and you refusing the help that I gave you. In other words, you've been praying to me about this thing. This, this brother, I sent you away to sow it in your life, but your pride wouldn't let you receive what that brother was sowing into your life. Isn't that odd that we do that kind of stuff? So God doesn't like pride because pride is the one sin. that It, it is the sin that, that Satan uh, actually, uh, when he was in heaven, succumbed to. Because Satan wanted the same glory that Christ Jesus uh, and God was getting in, in heaven. He he wanted he wanted the same thing that was reserved only for God. And so pride will cause you to make foolish choices and decisions. Pride will cause you to go down when you don't have to go down. Okay. So the text says God opposes the proud, but He favors 
the humble. He favors those who walk in humility. God's favor is on those, on the man or woman who walks in humility. Look at the next verse, verse number seven. So, so since he favors those who walk in humility, he says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let's read it out loud on purpose. It says what? So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now watch this. In order to resist the devil effectively, we must first humble ourselves before God. Is that the order of this verse? So humble yourselves before God because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now notice that in order for the devil to flee from us, there has to be some resisting going on on our part. Okay? Uh, many times the enemy will send stuff our way to test, to try to tempt us, to entice us to fall, right? But if we learn how to resist the devil, which means that I, I need to have a strategy uh, predetermined as to how I'm going to deal with certain situations that the enemy sends my way. All right? I need to have a strategy already made up in my mind and in my heart and my spirit. How am I going to uh, uh, confront this strategy that the enemy is coming my way? Because the enemy doesn't, you really, guys, he doesn't, he doesn't come with any, any new strategies. His strategies are pretty much the same from the beginning of time, right? He's going to try to get you to doubt God's word. Y'all know that, right? He started that in the Garden of Eden. And, and, and with brothers uh, and, and sisters also, but particularly with brothers, uh, the three G's come into play when he tries to, to strategize against the, the guys, okay? The girls, the gold, and the glory. Say it with brothers. Say the girls, the gold, that's money, y'all, and the glory. In other words, you, you're prideful. You know, it's all about you lifting yourself up. You want to take the glory that only belongs to God. So the girls, the gold, the glory. So you know that, that, that that's a strategy that's been time honored that the enemy has been using from, 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 from since mankind has been here on this earth. So you need to decide, okay, well, all, right, all right, if I'm a married man and uh, I know that, that men deal with sexual temptation. I got an um from one person, and I got brothers in here who look straight ahead and ain't going to breathe. <laughs> do, do you not realize that sometimes we end up tripping ourselves up because we pretend like we don't deal with certain stuff? And that's, you know, that's, that's a prideful act there because if you're not willing to say that, you know, that that's something that, that I've dealt with as a, as a man. I'm just talking to the brothers right now, but women deal with the same thing, right? Can, can I just look across the audience? And I want, I, want us to, I want us to be real with each other. You know, this happens in the church quite often. Uh, and, and when it happens, we're surprised that it happens. But I think we're surprised because everybody's pretending like it doesn't happen. That's why we pretend like we're surprised when we know we really shouldn't be surprised because, you know, the Bible even tells us that, that we have to flee uh, sexual temptation, right? So, so if I know 
let's say, if I know that that's an issue that could be a potential problem for any brother or sister in the body of Christ, then before I succumb to that, what I need to do and what you need to do is to put up boundaries uh, and already have your strategy uh, for what you're going to do if you face certain situations. Okay? Let's say um, some handsome dude rolls up on you, lady, and begins to talk and communicate with you in a, in a, in a very, um, I don't want to say sensual way, but in a way that, that as, as you interact with that person, um, there is a, any, maybe an emotional or physical attraction develops. Okay, can we talk tonight? Can we be real with each other? All right. So, so here you are, you're a believer and, um, and maybe things are not going so well with your home in your home, and maybe maybe you're not uh, experiencing a connection with your spouse the way you had when you were first married, and then all of a sudden the enemy starts talking in your ear. Or even the enemy doesn't start talking to you, it's just, it's just your flesh. Uh, because the devil is not in a lot of stuff that we put him into. Okay? It's just us, our flesh, right? Devil ain't in the cake. I mean, you know, the cake is, is there with the calories and the devil ain't had anything to do with it. You made it and you ate it. <laughs> Y'all know those spiritual people who put the devil in everything, right? They want to bind calories. You can't bind calories out of cake. Amen. They're in there. They're going to be there. If you eat it, you're going to put them on, right? All right. So, so we know that, okay, so when we come, it says resist the devil. He'll flee from him. I need to have a strategy on what am I going to do. All right, so let's say, for instance, you, you're in a scenario where uh, you, I wish I had a brought that I had, I didn't bring it with me, uh, but I was reading this article about how you can tell uh, when an emotional attachment is taking place. Gosh, I wish I had brought that. I, so, some, some of the things that it was talking about was that uh, when there's an emotional attachment taking place, uh, you begin to look forward to seeing that person whom an emotional attachment is taking place with. Even when you come to church, uh, when you come to church, uh, you, you immediately look to see if that person is sitting in that seat that they normally sit in. Uh, and then it mentioned about, you know, when, you know, when you're talking to that person, maybe if you're talking to that person and you're talking and sharing some, something that you would not share or or you'll be embarrassed, or you wouldn't want your spouse to hear you or see you observing you talking to this person about a certain certain subject. Okay, or if 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 you start here's a here's how you can know an emotional connection is taking place. It's when you start trying to find ways to to be in front of that person. Uh huh. And you try start trying to find ways or excuses to be alone with that person. So you can have a conversation that's a little bit more intimate or a little bit deeper than what you can when you're in a crowd of people. You start, you know, making up ways to get in front of that person. Well, I, 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 I think I lost my, uh, my badge. Let me go see if I find Sister Susan, see if she can help me find the badge. Because after all, she ushers, and ushers know where everything is. <laughs> Trying to find ways to get in front of the person. That's when you know an emotional connection is probably being developed. Okay? That's a whole lot of other stuff it, it talked about. But my point is this. If you, if you begin to sense 
that there's an emotional connection that's taking place in an unhealthy way. Now, again, we all, when we connect with people, there will be some level of emotional connection. Can we grant, can we grant that? Would y'all agree? But if, if it starts to be unhealthy, then what we got to do ahead of time is, is when we start feeling a certain way, we have to start putting up certain boundaries. You know, a boundary is just a barrier that keeps you from going too far. You ever went to a, a, a ball game or, or, or they're in a construction zone and they have these barriers to keep you from going on the other side of it, right? So what I'm saying is if we're going to effectively resist the devil in whatever uh, temptation or whatever thing that's trying to snag us, I just mentioned that thing because I think, I think we all understand that. I, I said that the, the girls, the gold, and the glory is this thing that guys deal with. And they have to be very careful that they have a strategy to resist the devil in all those areas. But it could be any number of things, okay? There's more to life than just that. Some, some, some of you sitting there right now that still are harboring unforgiveness from 15 years ago. But you think you're okay because you, hadn't, you, know, you don't treat the person wrong. But see, you don't realize that God sits high and he looks low. And God is looking at your heart. And he knows that in your heart, you, you're harboring some unforgiveness and you haven't dealt with it. And like I told you, Sonny, you need to start stepping toward that person to, to bring a reconnection to your relationship and, and deal with that, that unforgiveness that you have in your heart. You think you're okay because you hadn't bothered anybody. But God is saying, no, you're not okay because there's some things that, that I want to do with you, but because you, you're harboring unforgiveness now. Then, then I, I can't go too far with you because if you don't learn how to forgive people, you're going you're gonna to be a train wreck somewhere down the line. Amen? So, so what I'm saying is when it says resist the devil and he will flee from you, formulate your strategy on how you're going to deal with certain things that you know you struggle with. Right? Let's just go to it from a physical standpoint. If there are certain things that I'm struggling with physically, then, uh, then I need to try to have a strategy on how I'm going to deal with the physical stru struggle that I may have, uh, whatever, whatever that may be, okay? So develop a strategy to deal with it before you have to face it because some of us wait till we get in the middle of it and try to come up with something. Decide ahead of time how you're going to respond to certain things. She says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, so we are called upon by God to submit in at least six areas. Number one, to God. Submit yourself, humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil will flee when, you, when we resist, but if we're not resisting, he ain't fleeing. He's not going anywhere. Second thing we say is we need to submit to one another. Ephesians 4, 5, and 21. Come on, let's go real quickly. Ephesians 5 and 21. To, to one another, as members of the body of Christ, right? Y'all seen it before. It says, uh, submitting yourselves. Uh, let's start... Uh, Start at verse 15. Go back to verse 15. Ephesians, uh, the fifth chapter, verse number 15. Glory. Everybody still with me? A spirit of submission. A spirit of submission means that I'm not, I don't think of myself so high that I can't subject myself to the authority of another. That's in the, in the church especially. Because sometimes in the church, people have the mindset that, that, I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do. I'm just a volunteer. Well, when you look at the scripture, scripture says something different. I told you all this before. We are actually servants of God. That means that God is a God of order 
and his order that he's created in the church is something that if we're going to submit to him, we have to submit to the order that he set in the church. Okay? And so we have a responsibility spiritually to obey what the word of God says. And so we cannot afford to go around with the attitude that if I don't want to, I don't have to. Okay? Look at the text here. Watch this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Verse 16. Let's go. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 18, don't be drunk with wine. I think we talked about this last week, but because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 19, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. 20, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, out of reverence for Christ. So what he says here is, all of us in here who are part of the body of Christ, how many of y'all are born again believers? Let me see your hands, raise them wide. Because you are born again believer, the text says, he's talking to the church here, he's talking to born again believers, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another means that, that, that as a born-again believer, I am obligated spiritually, morally, to, to have interaction with you and such that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to Christ and, and I'm going to reverence Christ. And part of that reverence is that, that we're going to submit to one another, amen, by respecting each other. Okay? You should respect every born-again believer who's a part of this body. Okay? And so we do that out of reverence for Christ. Because you are connected to Christ, I'm connected to Christ. We're part of the same family, we're part of the same body, and we are to respect one another. Is everybody with me today? So, all right, so number three in your outline says, wives are to submit to husbands. Colossians, the third chapter, verse 18. Go there right quick. And we won't spend a lot of time on this because you guys know what that means. It is not an ugly word. It is a word, really, that, that it's... When you understand true submission, uh, it's not something that you uh, would frown at or get mad when you hear it because it really means to yield to the authority of another voluntarily without being beat over the head. Okay? All right. The text says, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting for those who belong to the to, to, to not to the wives, those who belong to the Lord. Look at the next verse, though, just for good measure. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly, okay? No husband should ever treat his wife harshly. That's what it says. Do y'all see that, guys? All husbands in the house say, yes, sir, I see that. It says never treat them harshly. I got, I don't want any wife in to raise her hand, but how many of your wives ever felt like your husband treats you harshly from time to time? Just kind of blink your eyes at me. Blink, blink. <laughs> Okay, I don't want to get anybody in trouble tonight. You feel like your husband treated you harshly. You know what? To do something harshly means that it's, you, did, you, you were mean-spirited. You said something with the intention of making the other person feel bad. Why would you do that, brothers? I, don't, I, I think we got some brothers in here who may have slipped up, up every now and then, but, but I believe we got some brothers who are trying to do it the right way. That's what I believe. And that, that's my hope. That's my that's my that's my uh, my hope as a pastor. That I got some brothers in here who who don't want to treat their wives harshly, okay? Especially now that you know better. 
maybe you didn't know better 15 years ago when you were, you know, you know, you, you were, you know, I don't know, you were, you were coming up uh, and you were, you were trying to be a husband the way you, maybe you saw and it wasn't godly. But now that you've learned, and now that you know this, this is in the, in the scripture, so every time you treat your wife harshly, she, you know, she, she, she has a right to turn to this and say, um, that ain't what the Bible says. And our pastor said, you are not to treat me harshly. And by the same token, wives, your husbands can come and turn to Ephesians and says, you know, the Bible says, and my pastor says, you, you should respect me. So don't talk to me like I got that tail on me. Respect me as your husband and your fearless leader who God has put into that position. Okay? All right. So, so all of, none of us have room to wiggle out and excuse ourselves from acting like we don't know Jesus. All right? So all of us can go to the scripture and encourage each other to do what's right. But again, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. So wives... Uh, it is incumbent upon you to submit to, to your husbands, amen, as unto the Lord. Look at the next one. The younger are to submit to the, uh, the older, 1 Peter 5 and 5. Let's look at that right quick. Hurry up. 1 Peter 5 and 5. The text says, in the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility. Here's, this, this, this is the attitude, this is the mindset that I, as, as your pastor, as long as you allow me to pastor you, I'm going to insist that this be the attitude and the mentality of every ministry that operates in this church. He says here in the same way, can we back up just a little bit, back up a few verses. Go back to verse 1, if you will, in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. P Peter here is appealing to those uh, you know, who are in leadership position in the church. And an elder uh, is speaking of spiritual leadership, but it's also talking about age too. Care for the flock. These, these are uh, people who are, have the responsibility for oversight. Look at what it says. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. He's talking to pastoral leadership here. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Every pastor who's listening to this, listen to me carefully. You need to have the heart of a pastor. A lot of preachers are in pulpits who has the name on the door to say that a pastor don't necessarily have a pastor's heart. A pastor cares for the sheep. So much so that they're going to speak truth into the sheep's life to help the sheep be healthy and spiritually vibrant. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. So as, as the under-shepherd, as the elder, senior elder of this house, I have a responsibility for spiritual oversight for the body of believers, the flock here at EBC. And so what you're fed, what's allowed to come through this door, ultimately God will hold me responsible for it, okay? So I take that very seriously. 
All right. Not for what you would get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Look at verse number three. Let's read. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Every elder, every under shepherd, every pastor needs to read this carefully. You're not to, to be a, a, a person who beats sheep. A good shepherd doesn't beat sheep. He leads the sheep. He guides them. So, but lead them by your own good example. Verse four and five, let's read it. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. All right, I'm looking for that crown of never ending glory of honor when I see Jesus face to face, all right? So, but watch this. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders and all of you serve each other in humility for God opposes the proud. There it is again. But he favors what? The humble. Those who walk in humility, he favors those who walk in humility. But if you got, if you got self-pride, then God is opposing you who are walking in self-pride. Okay? So the younger are to submit to the older. Look at the next one, number five. Servants are to submit to masters. And I shared this with you last week, I think. We talked about the fact that uh, we, we translate that into modern-day terms. Uh, we're talking about employer-employee relationships. Okay, the last one was Christians are to submit to the government, right? We have, we have a responsibility in Romans 13 and 1. Look at Romans 13 and 1 real quickly. Romans 13 and 1 says this. Uh, glory to God. Let's get that right. Romans 13, verse number 1. Let's go. It says, uh, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. All right? So that means that we have a responsibility to obey those who are in um, uh, authority. Verse number two says what? Uh, so anyone who, re who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. So authority and structure is part of God's design for the earth realm. Without authority and structure, you will have chaos. So God says we have a responsibility to submit to those who on authority, government authorities and authorities in the church. All right. Now, why is that important? Because some people in the church, again, feel like that the authority that God has laid out in the scripture doesn't apply to them. And when, when you have that mentality, what you're doing then is you are, you are opposing God. Because if God put a structure in place and said, this is my, this is my order for uh, for the church, this is my order for the family. So whenever a, a, a wife decides that she does not want to submit to her husband, or reverence her husband, or, or, or submit to the authority of her husband, then you're going against the uh, the authority that God set up for the family. And that 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 went over real good, didn't it? Now, I, I know some of y'all are thinking, well, but he hadn't shown himself to be faithful, Pastor. I, if, you know, if I, were to, if, if, if I were to follow his authority, we'd, we'd be broke now. We'd, we wouldn't even have a house. Here's my challenge to you, uh, lady who's thinking that way. Learn to pray for your husband and, and, and pray that he understands that you were put there to help him. Why do you think God said it? He said, it's not, when he created Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Did, did not the Bible say that? 
He says it's not good, you know, because Adam, had, you know, had named everything, and everything that he named had a male and female component, right? But Adam didn't have anybody, and God says it's not good for him to be alone. Then it's interesting that God created him, and then God says it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper who's suitable for him. I'm going to make him a helper who will who will complement him. I'm going to give him someone who can help him be the man that I created him to be. So any man who understands spiritual principle and God's order will appreciate to the highest the help that God gave him. Because actually, I told y'all this before, that, that same word, uh, that same root word uh, for helper that's suitable for him is the same word that's used in speaking of the Holy Spirit, who's our helper, the, the paraclete, the one who's called alongside us to help us. So if, if God says, I'm going to give you someone who's called alongside to help you and you refuse to receive the help that's coming from the one who's called alongside that God gave you to help you, then I believe that you are being foolish, man. Are you listening to me? So, so when we look at this thing, I'm talking about order now. So when I talk about order in the home, understand something. It's, it's important that, that the husband understand his role, and it's important the wife understands her role as the helper that's suitable for that husband. Because once we get out of balance and don't understand those roles, then we have chaos in the authority in the home. And we have chaos and authority in the church when people don't understand that role. Okay, I share with you and we read it all the time from Hebrews 13 how God, God tells us to obey these spiritual leaders because they watch for your soul, right? I have, a, I have to give an account for you to God how I shepherded this flock. And so when, when someone says, well, you know, the pastor, man, just like I am, you're exactly right. But, but, but the pastor, the person who's in that pastoral role is also operating under the authority of God. Doesn't make, it make me any better. It's like a policeman uh, 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 who has a badge that he don't know better man than, than any of us who don't wear a badge. But because he wears that badge, we have a responsibility as citizens to uh, to follow the authority. If, if he's if he's directing traffic this way and, and telling everybody to go this way, but you decide you want to go that way because it's a shorter way home, then when you turn that way instead of going this way, you just violated God's authority. Some of y'all say, well, that's my house right there. I got to go around and get to my house. Yes, if the authority figure says go that way, you go that way. Hello? Now, you sitting there thinking, what's the big deal, Pastor? I just, I just made a little show. It's a big deal because God says, we read it earlier, submit to government authorities. So now when I don't submit, then I'm outside the will of God. I'm, and so now I'm praying to God, but I'm, I'm violating his will. That doesn't work. Y'all tracking with me? So even in the church, go, Hebrews 13 tells it very quickly. It says, obey your spiritual leaders. Is that what it says? And I, I don't say that with a narcissistic attitude, with the, with the idea that I, I want to beat you over the head with it. I'm talking about what the scripture teaches us. And if we're not going to obey the authority structure that God lays into the earth realm, then, then we're not going to be able to flow with God because God 
when we, when we uh, disobey his word, we're disrespecting him. So it says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That will certainly not be for your benefit, okay? So Christians ought to submit to government authorities as well as our spiritual authorities. Now look at the next part of the outline, number three, submission of reason. First Peter, go back to First Peter 2, verse 15. Everybody still with me tonight? So a spirit of submission. So what happens is most of you all in here, let me, some of y'all who haven't been here long enough, let me give you some of the, I think, the historical climate of the church here at EBC. EBC, as far as I can remember now, especially since I've been pastor here, but as far as I can remember, EBC has never really been a church that's a preacher fighter. Have y'all ever been in the church where the church is preacher fighters? Everything that the pastor tries to do, somebody in the audience think they're smarter than the pastor, and they need to tell the pastor what to do. Now, again, any person who's wise will learn to receive wise counsel, right? But there is an order of, of, of responsibility. So if I'm responsible, but I don't have no say-so in the decisions, that's unfair to me to be responsible for something that I don't have a say-so in the decisions or what goes on in the church. EBC has never been a church that's, that's been, uh, that I can remember, uh, that's, that fought, fought preachers. In other words, uh, had some of those demon-type folks in the church who, who, who sowed discord. The problem that EBC has had is, is sometimes I think to a certain degree there, there may have been a little bit of, of spiritual complacency uh, to the point to where uh, people wouldn't fight spiritual authority openly, but they would quietly just rebel. I mean, when I say rebel, that means that quietly just wouldn't do what they were asked to do, right? So I don't know if it's better to, to be boastful and loud with it or undercover and sneaky with it. Which one do y'all think is worse? I don't know. <laughs> Somebody said the undercover sneaky guy. Right, but, 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 but in all seriousness, though, I think the climate of this church has been a pretty good climate as it relates to doing the work of ministry. And so that's why when I, when I say that I thank God for this body of believers here, I really truly mean that because some of y'all may not have been other places, but I've been other places and I've seen, I've talked to enough pastors to know that what we have here in the atmosphere and the spirit of submission that's in this body is a blessed thing and it's a unique thing. I've talked to enough pastors who have hells just trying to buy a new AC unit for the church when they go out. If it goes out, it's hot, we're going to go get one. We're not going to meet for five years to decide whether or not we're going to get a new unit. Go get the doggone unit. It's hot in here. I just, I, some stuff just don't make sense. Are y'all listening to me? Here's what I've understood. Guys, God keeps blessing us because I think of the spirit of submission that's in this church, the, the spirit of generosity. I'm sitting there, and, and as I'm, as I'm just, just here the last couple of months, so I've been, I've been, I'm, just, I'm just amazed at how God keeps blessing the church financially. I, I, I say I'm amazed. I've seen the historical trends for a number of years. It, it keeps going up, but it's going up exponentially 
um, right now in a level that, that, that I think God, what, what God is doing is saying, you know, that thing that you guys want to do with that building project, don't, don't sweat it. I got your back. And he's, and he's keep on pouring more blessings in. But this church has never been a church that, I, that I'm aware of that's, that, that has fought the preachers. And that's a good thing. Uh, because I think that when we understand authority, it helps us to be able to flow better as a ministry. Okay? I, I promise you, I'm not going to lead us into something that's crazy, ungodly, and, and it's going to hurt this ministry. Uh, I'm too conservative for that. <laughs> I mean, I, I really am. I, I, I'm I, and sometimes I, you know, that, that's to my detriment. I can be a little too conservative. Uh, but one thing we ain't going to do, go broke. Okay? Uh, we're not going to have to raise an offering to pay the electricity bill. We never had to done that. We're not going to do, start it. Okay? If we have to cut, we'll cut. But we ain't have to cut. Because the Lord has been good to us. Amen? Amen? But I think that's because we understand his authority. Now, so, so submission reason. Go back to 1 Peter 2 and 15 with me right quick. It, here, it says, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Okay? Is that, is that what it says? Read it out loud with me on purpose. It says what? Okay, it's, it's God's will. Now watch what he says, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. How many of y'all ever heard people say, well, I'm not going to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites up in that chat. I know somebody to go to EBC and they ain't right. So that means none of them are right. Isn't it amazing how we'll do that? We go to work and people aren't right, but we don't stop going to work. Huh? How many of those people on your job that, that ain't quite wrapped tight? When I say wrapped tight, in other words, they, they may do stuff the wrong way. Uh, they're not the, the, the best people. They're not, maybe not even moral people. And you know them. But you still go to work. Isn't it amazing how people will find an excuse and a reason not to go to a church. But see, it's not about going to church. It's about knowing Jesus and having a relationship with God. That's the problem. We, we, we boil everything down to church, and it's not about church. It's about a, a relationship. But watch this, guys. Um, this says it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make false accusations against you. So those people who say, well, I ain't going to church because there's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites up in there. Well, Here's what he's saying here is we ought to live in such a way that when people say that kind of stuff, it make them look foolish. Because you're living right. You're, when I say living right, you're, you're living your life in an honorable way that pleases God by doing his word, doing his will. If somebody's talking about you, it ought to be because uh, they're just making some stuff up. It should not be because you do have a side chick over in Motown, they see you coming over there. If y'all over in Motown, I, I, yeah, I, 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 no, no, no disrespect to Motown. Or if we say Motown, like Detroit City Motown. But 
But it shouldn't be, they shouldn't be talking about you because you're known for that kind of stuff. They shouldn't be talking about you because you're known to cuss people out on the job. They shouldn't be talking about you because you're known to be mean spirit and harsh when you're out and about in the community. They shouldn't be talking about you because people at the school know you and you've been up there and cussed the principal out, the teacher out, the coach out, and everybody you can see out. That should not be the reason why they're talking about you. I mean, it'd be true. If they're talking about you, let it be a lie. Let it be because you live an honorable life. It says, if it is God's, it's, whose will is it? It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make what? Foolish accusations against you. Look at verse 16 for good measure. Come on, it says what? For you are free, yet you are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Verse 17, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. So, so watch this. So this is God's where he, God, God instituted a chain of command and he works through that chain of command in the earth realm. Rebellion is the territory of Satan, okay? Not born again believers. We are not to operate and walk in rebellion. As I said, I think for the most part, this church here has been a church that doesn't walk in rebellion. I thank God for that. I'm telling you, I've been around, I've talked to enough people to know that we are in a blessed situation. Let's keep it blessed, okay? Let's don't start being rebellious. <laughs> Amen. You know, don't wait till you get 55 or 60 and then you want to rebel. All right, let's keep going the way God wants to go. Rebellion is the territory of Satan, not born again believing. Submission to others makes us more likely to submit to God, all right? So God uses our submission to earthly authority to train us to submit to his authority. Put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, it says. Foolish men accuse us as being lawbreakers. Our obedience can be used of God to silence them. Y'all remember Job? You remember when Job faced his calamities? Go, go to Job 1 right quick. And, and I, I know my time is running. Go to Job, the first chapter. Look, look at what God says about Job. Because sometimes you can be falsely accused. For the sake of time, y'all know, most of y'all know the story. But Job, as we always say, was picked out to be picked on. And as I always ask you, are you a candidate to be picked out, to be picked on? Can God call down from heaven and tell Satan, have you considered my servant Stafford Edwards? Have you considered my servant Vincent Thornton? Have you considered my servant Eva May, servant Eva May Henry? Uh, have you considered my servant uh, Brittany Figaro? Uh, can you be called out to be picked on? Look at what the text says in, in Job 1, uh, <laughs> verse 1 and 1. Job 1 and 1. Let's look at that right quick. Hurry, hurry. Job 1 and 1 says, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was, a bl he was blameless. A man of complete integrity. Everybody say complete integrity. All right? And it says this, uh, uh, He feared God and stayed away from evil. Is that right? Keep reading. It says what? He had seven sons and three daughters. 
He owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 teens of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and he employed many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Now watch this. He was the richest person in the entire area. Let me just throw this out just parenthetically. God don't have a problem with you having money. He really doesn't. He doesn't want the money to have you. Okay? Verse, verse 3. Verse 4, I'm sorry. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Don't forget that. All right, number six says what? One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan asked the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless and man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Can God say that about you? Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him, harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. And then y'all know the story how one day, you know, stuff started just happening. Lost his kids, lost his cattle. He, he was very rich. He was the richest man in that, in that area. But now remember this. If you read the rest of the story, you're going to understand something. Friends start coming to Job. He started saying, Joe, what have you done? You must have done something for this to be happening to you. You must have, you, you must have done something evil for all this calamity to come upon you. Now, now listen to me carefully. <laughs> they came and they accused Joe. Uh, but in that process, I want you to understand something. Uh, Joe, God said he, God said he was an upright man. God gave Satan the challenge of going to test him. And the stuff that those friends were saying about Job was not true. And Job's captivity turned, the Bible says, when he prayed for his friends, the ones who were coming and accusing him of having done something wrong. Now, with that, I want to say this. Job was an upright man, and the stuff that they said about him wasn't true. You as a born-again believer, I as a born-again believer, ought to be living in such a way, honorable life, so that if people are talking about us, the stuff that they're saying is not true. Okay? You know, one of my members came to me, I think I shared this with y'all several years ago. One member came to me and, told, and, and said that somebody had told them in their hometown, they didn't live in this hometown, but they, but they didn't live here in Benton, but they was telling me where they lived, that they, somebody approached them and said, I heard y'all's pastor got an airplane. <laughs> now, y'all know that's not true, right? But somebody said that. And I don't know why they would have said that, because I've I never mentioned anything as far as about being on the, in preaching that, that I want an airplane. I don't have a need for an airplane, okay? 
But somebody said that, 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 was, that was a bald face. Like you, you would laugh at that. But what if somebody told you that I heard that Pastor Adam was stealing all the money at the church? I heard that Pastor Adam make y'all give your W-2 form to him so he can see how much money you made to see if you're really tithing or not. Now, you all ought to know that, and you all ought to be able to stand up for me and say, my pastor doesn't do that. Amen. You shouldn't be out there saying, well, you know, I don't know, I ain't heard that one. Let me go check it out. <laughs> you, guys, you guys know that I exhort you to give, but I'm not going to be standing over you trying to force you to do something that, you can't, that you're not doing out of faith. I want to live in such a way, and you ought to want to live in such a way, that if people do say something crazy and foolish, your honorable life will bring them to shame when people observe you and see what you're doing. That's all he's saying here. Live a life that, that actually, uh, you know, when people talk about you, let it be something that's false. Job was that type of man. Now, last thing I want, to, I want to share with you. Go with me. Uh, the fourth item on here is submission repeated. Let's go, 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 go to uh, Mark, the 12th chapter, verse number 17. Christ and Paul have already spoken on this issue. Let's go to Mark, the 12th chapter, verse number 17. And uh, Mark 12, verse 17 says, Well then, Jesus said, and this is when they were challenging Jesus about whether or not to give, you know, to Caesar or not. Jesus said, when he, Jesus says, uh, well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed him. Let's back up a few verses there and see what he's talking about there. And we'll, and we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll bring this thing to a conclusion for tonight, okay? A spirit of submission has to be in our homes, on our jobs, and in the church. And God uses our submission to authority in this earth realm to teach us how to submit to his authority. His authority is in his word, okay? He uh, says, teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. <laughs> it's amazing. These folks here who are trying to trap Jesus are now buttering him up. Watch out for people who are always buttering you up. He says, teacher, they said, teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They tried to trap him. Because if he said no, they will go tell Caesar that you got a heretic over here who's telling his people not to pay taxes. They were trying to trap him. But, they, but look at the language here. We know how honest you are. You are impartial. You don't play favorites. Can I bring it to modern day terms? Oh, brother Katie, man, you're such an awesome brother, man. You know what? I know you're a God-fearing man, and God has truly blessed you real good. Man, can I borrow $5,000? <laughs> I want to butt him up first, tell him how good he is, tell him how blessed he is, and then I'm going to go in for the game. <laughs> People will do that. They, they were trying to put Jesus up, but they were trying to trap him. Look at the next verse. Come on, verse 15. It says, should we pay them or shouldn't we? 
Look at how many of y'all know Jesus sees through our hypocrisy. When you when you tell the Lord that that I I I I, I want to do it differently, God, God, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm not, I'm not going back anymore. God, God can see through uh, our hypocrisy. God can see through it when we say we really want to pray, but we really don't pray. And if you really want to pray, you can pray. You will pray. But when you tell God, I want, I want to pray more, but you don't pray more, then you probably really don't want to pray more because you did want to pray more. You can pray more. Who's stopping you? All right, watch this. <laughs> should we pay them or should we? Jesus saw through that hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Jesus was so, man, Jesus was bad. He was, everybody said he was bad. He was so wise. He says, he says, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. Verse 16, when they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Watch him. Well, then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His, his reply did what? It, it, just, it just blew their mind. They thought, doggone it, we thought we had it. Guys, let me tell you something. When it comes to submission to authority, governmental and spiritually, God's, God's word is going to always line up with, with God. God's will will always line up with God's word. Okay? So, you know, if you're here in, this, in America, part of the capitalistic system requires us to pay taxes, right? I don't like them. You probably don't like them. If you really looked at your, if you are a W-2 wage employee and you look at your check very carefully, you'll see that there's a lot of stuff that comes out. And I'm sure you are probably like I am thinking I could do a better job with that money than the federal government or the state government or the local government does. But the fact remains that we have to pay it. As a child of God, I have to submit to that system because God said I have to submit to the authorities, uh, government authority. And so all Jesus is doing is reiterating that submission. He's repeating it again, running under Caesar, that which is Caesar, and running under God, that which is God. Okay? And, and I'm going to go back to what in our, in our text in Peter, he talks about the, submitting to the king because the king is symbolic of the, of the national government. Okay? Governors who are, who are less officials, but 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 they also are, are to be submitted to when we're in that state. We talk about governors as we look at it here in the year 2018. We have a responsibility to to submit to our state government authorities also. Okay, so God uses our submission in the world to teach us how to submit to Him in the spiritual things, okay? So spiritual submission is, is, is vitally important for a church to be vibrant and for it to grow. So what we'll do is next week, we'll, we'll finish out the rest of this, 